Before we get to our scripture reading this morning, uh, being mindful that we have our children here with us, um, we are going to read from the Jesus Storybook Bible from the story of the King of All Kings, which is the story of the three wise men from Matthew chapter 2. Um, I'm not going to turn and show you guys the pictures. Uh, you can look at it at home when you go home or buy it and, and go home and read it. Um, but for those of you who are online, we have some cool slides up for you. Um, so let me begin by reading this, and then we'll get to uh, Mark chapter 6 in just a moment. So the king of all kings in the Jesus Storybook Bible, far away in the east, three clever men saw the very same star, the star that God had put in the sky when Jesus was born. They knew it was a sign. A baby king had been born. They'd been waiting for this star. They knew it would come. He's here, they shouted. He's here. And I'm sure if you'd been there, you would have heard them laughing and dancing and singing until the sun came up. At dawn, they packed up their camels and wrapped gifts for the baby. They brought their most precious treasures of all, frankincense, gold, and myrrh, special, sparkly, lovely-smelling, gleaming things, just right for a king. The three wise men, actually, if you'd met them, you'd have thought they were kings because they were so rich and clever and important-looking, set off. They rode their camels across endless deserts, up steep, steep mountains, down into deep, deep valleys, through raging rivers over grassy plains, night and day and day and night, for hours that turned into days, that turned into weeks, that turned into months and months, until at last they reached Jerusalem. Jerusalem was by far the most important city for miles around, and as anyone can tell you, that's where a palace would be, and kings are born in palaces. So that's where they went. But they were in for a surprise. They went to see King Herod. Surely he'd know where the baby was. But he didn't. In fact, he, he didn't like the sound of a new king. It made him cross. He didn't want anyone to be king except him. But Herod's advisors told the three wise men what was written in their books, what God had said about the baby king, go to Bethlehem, that's where you'll find him. Suddenly the star they had seen in the east started moving again, showing them the way. So the three wise men followed the star out of the big city, along the road, into the little town of Bethlehem. They followed the star through the streets of Bethlehem, out of the nice part of town, through the not-so-nice part of town, into the really not-nice-at-all part of town, down a little dirt track, until it stopped right over a little house. But wait. It wasn't a palace, and there weren't any guards or servants or flags or red carpets or trumpets or anything. Did they get it wrong, or was this what God meant? Sure enough, in that little house, there sitting on his mother's knee, they found him, the baby king. The three men knelt before the little king. They took off their rich royal turbans and gleaming golden crowns. They bowed their noble heads to the ground and gave him their sparkling treasures, the journey that had begun so many centuries before had led three wise men here to a little town, to a little house, to a little child, to the king God had promised David all those years before. But this child was a new kind of king. Though he was the prince of heaven, he had become poor. Though he was the mighty God, he had become a helpless baby. This king hadn't come to be the boss. He'd come to be a servant. Now hear God's word from Mark chapter 6, verses 1 to 6. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? 
Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Can you tell that Kyle reads stories to his kids? I know that he does. Um, part of why we did that this morning is it's, you know, it's after Christmas. This is a time of year where we think about the three kings and this part of the narrative, the birth narrative, and Jesus making his way um, from being born and then growing up. And, um, and then we read Mark chapter 6. And something to notice about the similarities between that. I love how this uh, worked out with Mark 6 and the story about the three kings from Matthew 2, or the wise men, is that when people first see Jesus... When they first begin to see what he's about, they're impressed. The wise men saw something going on in the heavens. They realized there is something that is absolutely on a cosmic level changing. The universe is changing. And the stars are pointing to what's changing. And it's about this prophesied child. We have got to go see this child. And so they travel for days and weeks and months, as the children's storybook Bible says, Um, to see Jesus because they were impressed with him. And then in Mark chapter 6, we see people, uh, their opinions about who Jesus is change. At first we read that they are amazed because they saw what Jesus was doing. And what he was doing, even if you were a cynic, you couldn't help but be amazed. Jesus uh, left there, went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. So whatever Jesus was doing, whatever he was saying, whatever miracles he was performing, they made everyone kind of go, wow, that is amazing. We don't have everything that Jesus did recorded in the Bible, um, but what is recorded here is that this was unmistakably significant, and it made people pause and experience a state of awe. It was awesome. It was amazing. But then we read some transition takes place. They go from being amazed to offended. And what happens is they begin to say, wait a minute, isn't this just Jesus? Like this is Mary's son. He's just a carpenter. We know him because he used to cause trouble. I remember when he was 12 years old and he was just a punk and these other four little brothers and these sisters and James was there and Simon and, you know, they're all there together. And this is just Jesus. So what is going on here? We know this young man. Now he's a man and he's saying these things. And if what he is saying is true, it changes everything. And they begin to go from being amazed at who Jesus is to offended at who he is. Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Just think about that emotional transition that takes place. They see who Jesus is, they're amazed, and now they are offended at what Jesus is doing. Why? Part of it is because, as we've seen in the Gospel of Mark so far in our study over the fall, and we'll continue to see in the spring, is that when Jesus comes in, everything bows to him. 
And when they saw Jesus, they didn't see the king of the universe. They saw the carpenter. They didn't see a fancy farmer. Uh, They didn't see a rich man. They didn't see someone who had made his way up in the world and was leading in the synagogue or in the government. He was just making awesome chairs and tables. I'm sure people loved him, but he was just a carpenter. And now he's claiming to be the very son of God. That is straight up offensive. When you think about who you think Jesus is, who do you think Jesus is? How do you come up with your ideas about who Jesus is? Or maybe this, when something happens in your life, do you think to yourself, what is God doing here? And then do you become the judge on what he's doing? I want to present to you that part of what's happening in the Gospel of Mark is Mark is giving us language and a lens and the ability to see Jesus for who Jesus says he is versus who we think Jesus must be or what Jesus must do. Jesus was so normal and so accessible that he was a carpenter. You know, his father could have given given him any kind of calling. That would have been super impressive. You know, kids, when you think about what you want to be when you grow up, you know what I used to want to be? An astronaut. I wanted to be an astronaut. I wanted to fly the stars. I wanted to maybe go and be in the Air Force. And none of that worked out. But I had these great aspirations of what I thought it meant to be great. And then God called me to be a pastor. And I'm really glad to be a pastor. It's such an honor to be here. My life has been greatly enriched by it. But when they saw Jesus, they didn't see an astronaut. They didn't see a king. They just saw plain Jane, Jesus. Jesus says here, you know, a prophet in his own town doesn't have any respect. Because people are remembering 12-year-old Jesus and 9-year-old Jesus and 8-year-old Jesus. They're not hearing who Jesus is saying that he is. And what they've done is they've made a transition from being impressed with who Jesus is to underestimating him. They were impressed with who Jesus was because of what he had done and what he was saying. But as soon as their heads began to understand, wait a minute, they immediately moved from being impressed to underestimating him. Jesus knows his own people. He grew up among them. And he knows the things that they've seen and what they've endured. And we read here that because of their lack of faith, because they begin to criticize, because they begin to, see, they begin to underestimate Jesus, Jesus stops doing certain miracles. Why was that? Jesus is not like, you know, Santa Claus. And if people stop believing, he can't fly his reindeers. That's not what's going on here. Jesus stops doing those things in the temple that way because it's no longer, he no longer is interested in revealing what his kingdom looks like and what it tastes like to people who have gone from being impressed with Jesus to underestimating him. But what does he continue to do? He continues to heal those who were sick. Those who were in desperate need of Jesus, he zoned right in and said, their lack of faith is not going to impact my blessing upon you. And he continued to do miraculous things. But then we read these staggering words in verse 6. He was amazed at their lack of faith. I want you to take that in for a minute. We read in the scriptures that Jesus was the one who made everything. Kids, he made your moms, he made your dads. He made the skies, he made the birds, he made all things. And not only did he make them, he actually holds them together by the word of his power. Jesus holds everything that exists together because he's the king of the universe who sustains it. And that king was amazed at their lack of faith. Why was he so amazed? In that moment, we see what sin does to us. Sin begins to let us, you know, when we're angry, it lets us see things um, not as they really are. We begin to see them um, through the lens of our sin instead of seeing them for who God says they are. Jesus is saying, I'm the king of heaven and earth. 
Look at these miraculous things. I'm bringing the kingdom to you. And they go, no, you're just a carpenter. You've got those brothers. You've got those sisters. We, we know you. you. We're offended. You need to be quiet. You need to leave. They're underestimating who Jesus is. Jesus is inviting us to actually be able to wrap our minds around this. You can have a relationship with Jesus. You personally can know him. You personally can experience his grace and his power, and all by grace and through faith. He invites you into that. He does these amazing things as an opportunity for you to access it. Now, I'm going to tell you a story. We're almost done here. I'm going to tell you a story about my life. Some of you know this story a little bit. And I never talk about my family without talking to them first. I talked to William before I, before I was going to use him as an illustration because it's a part of my life also. But back in 2005, my family stood on this stage. And the church prayed for us because William was about to have a bone marrow transplant. And this church cared for us, and they gave us gifts, and they reminded us that even in the midst of a situation that might shake your faith, don't forget who Jesus is. Be impressed with who he is. Don't forget that he loves you. Don't underestimate his power for you in that moment. Don't overestimate the reality of the darkness that you're walking in and you're centered on. Don't, don't overestimate that. Don't underestimate who Jesus is. And we went off and we lived on Texas uh, on the ninth floor of Children's Hospital downtown in Houston. And William, we went to the floor and he had chemotherapy and he had a bone marrow transplant. And I have these precious memories of our family, me, William, Avery, Jamie, and Walker, all being there together on that floor in the midst of suffering, being thankful that God had given me my family, both my earthly family and my heavenly family. The church is meant to be a place that reflects the power of God's family to you. It's meant to do that. And so, you know, while Will was on that floor, he was kind of the life of the party. I could show you pictures sometime of him driving his little Batmobile that they had on the floor and us following behind him with his meds or him laughing with people. He had his masks on before it was cool. He had to wear a mask. Um, and he got to meet Chris Rock and Lance Berkman gave him a baseball hat. Like we had lots of love and support. But I'm just telling you because I was on the floor with me and those other families. All the stories don't end like that. A lot of those children didn't get to leave like my son did. And here I am in 2020 in the midst of the crazy 2020. And I sat here in our church on the fourth Sunday of Advent. And I got to listen to my son read the scripture again from the front. So for me, I have accessed in really powerful ways that God is actually really gracious and really present and does amazing things. The thing is, is when we face situations where they don't turn out like that, in that moment, we can begin to underestimate Jesus' interest in us. What do we do when we're facing things that make us underestimate who Jesus is and overestimate the power of sin and brokenness? What do we do? We need to remember what Jesus has done. We need to ask that his spirit would enable us to have faith, to, to be amazed with who he is, so we can understand our present circumstances. Thank the Lord. We are not the sum of the bad things that happen to us. Uh, we're not defined by the present struggles and difficulties. This is how you're defined. Jesus, who was able to heal people who were sick and walk on water and was born in a manger and through, you know, three wise men came to visit. That same Jesus this morning wants you to know that he cherishes you, that he loves you, that he's with you. That as we enter 2021, you are not going to have to face it alone. Kids, have you ever put on your parents' glasses before? Or if your parents are really lucky, you know, your grandparents' glasses? And, and what happens when you look through your parents' glasses? The whole world looks fuzzy, right? It was William or Walker the other day put on my glasses. I've got really weird eyes. 
they're different prescriptions, and I, you know, it's very strange. But he put them on. I was like, whoa. I mean, like looking at the world through that through my lenses um, will be very confusing to you spiritually. Do not look at Jesus through another lens. Don't look at him through the lens of the movies. Don't look at him through the lens of what other people have said about who Jesus is. Don't look at him through the lens of what your own brain can come up with. Jesus is more than what you are able to come up with. What you're, what you're called to do, what God gives you in his scripture is this. I'm going to show you who Jesus is. And what you'll find is that he is amazing. He is worthy to be impressed with. Don't underestimate his interest in you. Don't underestimate his affections for you. Don't overestimate the power of whatever it is that might be bringing you down or be really difficult or even your own hard heart. There are times in my life as a pastor where I underestimate what God's going to do. And sometimes it does work out just as horrible as I thought. And I'm like, oh, but see, in that moment, I'm calibrated to the future reality of what God's going to do and the past reality of what he's done. But there are other times where God answers prayers in really, really beautiful ways. As Christians, we have this mysterious gift to be able to pray to God. As Paul says in Colossians 4, to devote ourselves to prayer and be watchful and thankful. I want to ask you to do something. This is, we're ending here. Two challenges for you. I want to ask you to pray specifically for yourself. That you would be amazed with who Jesus is. That you would be impressed with who Jesus is in 2021. I want to dare you to pray that. And then I want to ask you to pray that same prayer for your family and for our church. That Grace Presbyterian Church would more and more become a place where we experience and express how amazed we are with how good Jesus is. That we're impressed with him. That we don't want to underestimate his interest in what he wants to do in the woodlands. Grace Presbyterian Church exists in this community because Jesus wants people to hear about the amazing things he has done And you're invited to that. I'm contemplating a a memory verse for us as a church in 2021. I read it on Christmas Eve, and I want to say it again to you now. Maybe you should start memorizing this verse, but it's 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, which says, This is how God showed his love among us. This is how God showed his his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. If there's one thing that Kyle and I want for you as your pastors, it would be that you access, you entertain, you move into living this verse. That you understand first that God has showed his love to you by sending his son into the world, his one and only son, his precious son. But also, and this is the rest of it, is that God would be gracious to us to enable us to find life through Jesus, to live through him. Because when we do that, we're accessing something amazing. Okay? So, we're done. You know, I hope you're impressed. Like, that was, that was pretty quick. Um, and as we go out from this place, just, my, just know that I am praying that specifically for you and your family, for each of you children who are here, that God would be gracious to you and enable you to be impressed with this message. Let's pray together. Jesus, we do give you thanks that you have done amazing things. You have been gracious to us. You have moved toward us. Uh, You have forgiven us through the gospel. You continue to sustain your people and sustain us. You have done great things. We are amazed at you. And we would ask that this year, as we end 2020, 
and we move into 2021, that by the power of your spirit, you would make us more impressed with who you are and what you're doing so that we can find life through Jesus as you promise us in the scriptures. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.